Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, and Impact Wrestling. But before I get into the shows, if you could, wherever you are listening to this podcast, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you are listening to this um, podcast, if you could, leave me a review, give me a star rating, subscribe. That would be greatly appreciated because when you do that, it allows the people that are owning these companies they are controlling the data it allows them to let people know that hey this channel exists this podcast exists and that um i will be able to expose my podcast this show to everybody out there in the world that'd be greatly appreciated but now let's get on with the show monday night raw raw will open up with bailey dakota kai and eo sky in the middle of the ring and bailey's out here to give their group mission statement which is they're here to make the raw women's division better bailey would mention how eo and dakota are going to be entering this women's tag team championship tournament and how they're going to win it become the new women's tag team champions and more or less this leaves bailey going after the raw women's championship as bailey was talking out will come uh oscar alexa bliss and the raw women's champion bianca belair all three of the ladies would walk towards the ring, and now you would get to have Bailey's group on one side of the ring and Bianca's group on the other side of the ring. And we know where this is coming to. Bailey issues a challenge to them and say that how about we have a match at Clash of the Castle? Us three going against you three. And Bianca accepts for her group. So at Clash of the Castle, it will be Bianca Belair, Alexa, and Asuka going against Bailey, Dakota, and Io. After this, we would get a brawl between all six of the ladies. It will start in the middle of the ring, and then it would deviate to the outside of the ring and then into the crowd, and then it will finally hit its peak whenever Alexa would jump off the barricade onto the other five ladies, and then you would get security, backstage officials, referees, the whole nine yards trying to separate all six of these ladies. After this situation is done with, then we would get to our first match of the night. Seth Rollins going against Angelo Dawkins, who had Montez Ford in his corner, and Seth Rollins would win this match by pinfall when he would hit the pedigree on Angelo Dawkins after he tried to hit the curb stomp three separate times on Dawkins during the match, so he knew he had to go use the pedigree to end Dawkins. After the match, you would see Seth hit Dawkins with a curb stomp when he was about to leave the ring, but he had to turn around and hit Angelo with a curb stomp. Montez would get into the ring, and then you would see Seth leave out of the ring. Now, looking into the future, more or less next week, I can see the Street Profits probably having some more beef with Seth, but we're going to have to put that on the back burner because later in the night, it was announced that Riddle will be on Raw next week. Riddle got took out by Rollins at SummerSlam, so it seems to me WWE is going to be continually pushing that Rollins and uh, Riddle storyline. After this, we were supposed to get Kevin Owens going against Ezekiel, but that match technically happens, but it doesn't get a winner because as soon as the bell ring, you immediately see Kevin Owens rush over to Ezekiel and start pounding on him, and I start wailing on him, kicking him, punching him, to the point that Ezekiel slides out of the ring, Kevin Owens gets out of the ring, he grabs Ezekiel, throw him into the commentary table, bashes his head on the uh, ring apron, and then he ends up powerbombing Ezekiel right on the ring apron. So... You see the medics come down to the ring. They put Ezekiel on a stretcher. They stretcher him out. And we get old Kevin Owens back. Kevin Owens of 2014 when he first entered WWE NXT. The same Kevin Owens that on his first night, he turned on his best friend Sami Zayn whenever Sami became the NXT champion. 
and we will get a explanation from Kevin Owens later in the night because Kevin Owens will cut a backstage uh promo at the parking lot and basically Kevin Owens said that he's not playing anymore where there's more eyes on the product now than ever and I'm going to let people know exactly who Kevin Owens is not this guy that's just floundering around no I am a prize fighter I am the guy that's going to do whatever it takes to get to the top so we're getting old school mean vicious Kevin Owens here after this we will get Rey Mysterio going against uh Finn Balor with Damian Priest and Finn's corner, but before that match would happen, before Ray did come out, we would get Finn and Damian on the microphone, and the main gist of this is that Damian calls out uh, Edge for a match two weeks on Monday Night Raw when they will be in Toronto, and this will be for Edge's first match back on Raw in 12 years. Another thing to note before this match actually did happen, uh, Ray Mysterio will come down to the ring by himself because... Earlier in the night, Rey Mysterio will be backstage with himself, Dominic, and Edge. Edge will come into the locker room, and you would see Edge apologize to Dominic for accidentally spearing him last week. And Rey would accept the apology on Dominic's behalf, but then Dominic would shove Edge off. And now you see Rey having to calm his kid down, saying, hey, listen, he did it by accident. Dominic isn't trying to hear that, so... This reason why Dominic was not out with his father whenever he had to go against Finn Balor for the match. Finn Balor would end up winning the match by pinfall thanks to help from a distraction from Rhea Ripley. When Rey Mysterio would hit Finn Balor with the 619 and it looks like he's about to go and hit some type of maneuver. Uh, Rey will look at the entrance station. You will see Rhea Ripley having his son Dominic on her shoulders and then dropping him off on the entrance station. And Rey... Uh, son Dominic is all beat up his face has got a couple bruises on it his shirt's teared and this would cause Finn to now grab Ray from behind hit him with the 1916 which is a ele high elevated uh, DDT then go to the top turnbuckle jump off and hit the coup de grace on Ray to cover him for the win so now Finn owns a victory over Ray Mysterio after this we would get a first round matchup for the women's tag team championship tournament it'll be the team of tamina and the 24 7 champion dana brooke going against eo sky and dakota kai who had bailey in their corner eo and dakota would win the match by pinfall when dakota would hit her uh corner kick on tamina and then eo would hit her moonsault on tamina to win the matchup so they now move on to the semifinals of their side of the tournament and they will be facing the winner of alexa bliss and oscar going against Nikki A.S.H. and Dewdrop. That match will be happening next week on Monday Night Raw. After this, we will be getting the United States Championship matchup. Tommaso Ciampa going against Bobby Lashley. Uh, Ciampa will be dedicating this match to his trainer, Harley Race. He even comes out in a Harley Race uh, jacket. This basically an homage to the same type of jacket that Harley Race wore. It had one side was red, one side of it was blue, and on the back... It said race. So again, this was Ciampa's homage to his trainer, but he does not get the win. Bobby Lashley would defeat Ciampa by submission when he would lock in the hurt lock on Ciampa. This was a good match between Bobby Lashley and Ciampa. I knew it was going to be a good match, but the way that this thing allowed Ciampa to look like he almost was going to beat Bobby for the United States Championship, it was amazing because at one point you saw the Miz try to help out uh champa but then you see aj come out and take the miz out of the equation and you see uh champa throw bobby into the steel uh 
steel exposed steel turnbuckle and then you see him hit him with a knee and then he hits him with the willow's bell and it seems to me that he's going to pin lashley no he locks him in the gargano escape it looks like okay bobby might tap out no bobby it just uses his sheer uh strength and determination he ends up making champa tap out so this match was really to highlight champa but it allowed Bobby to still stay as a strong, dominant champion going into next week. Because next week, it was announced that Bobby Lashley will be defending the United States Championship against AJ Styles. After this, we will have Omos going against two local guys. Uh, Spencer Slade and I don't know the other dude's name. Uh, Omos would defeat those two guys when he hits one of them with a double-handed uh, choke slam and pins them. So we're just throwing something for we're just throwing Omos out there right now until we find something for Omos to do after this we will have Dolph Ziggler going against Chad Gable Dolph Ziggler will win the match by pinfall when you hit Chad Gable with a uh, super kick to win the matchup good match between Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable they have some amateur wrestling going off at the beginning but Dolph Ziggler would win the matchup here again this also allowed Chad Gable to showcase what he can do whenever people forget who Chad Gable is this allow them to remember that after this we get to the main event of the night aj styles going against the miz in a no disqualification matchup and aj would win that matchup by pinfall when miz was trying to lock aj into the figure four but aj would shove miz headfirst into a steel chair which was a position in between the top turnbuckle and the middle turnbuckle and miz's head would hit that steel chair and then aj would grab him and hit him with the styles clash for the win Solid match between both of these guys. You had used steel chairs, candlesticks, the usual stuff for a no disqualification matchup. Also, we had uh, Champa going through a table in this matchup as well. So, I mean, it was a solid Raw main event. The big takeaway of Raw technically was um, later after this, you would see AJ in the ring, posing in the middle of the ring, and then you start seeing him making eye contact over to the barricade and you see the security guards holding a guy police officer holding a guy and then the camera focus over to that incident and you see the guy that they're arresting he's in a black hood and everything and he flips the hood back and it's dexter loomis dexter loomis is here and apparently he's back to wwe they didn't say that he's signed or nothing but if you showed a wwe character and you called him by dexter loomis on your show that means he's working with the company and also this ties into a thing that happened earlier in monday night raw that constantly was like a thing because backstage during the kevin owens uh talk whenever he explained his explanation there was a car that was smoking in the back i mean like it looked like a car just got into an accident and you saw like some superstar surrounding the car there was another backstage vignette of a Oscar and Alexa talking and then you see police officers and backstage officials running from the back past them and it seems like they were trying to go after somebody that probably was creeping through the arena so this could fit into Dexter Lewis just being a creep and why did he pick Cleveland or why did he pick AJ Styles to be the person he's going to try to go after I don't know we're going to have to figure that out on Monday Night Raw so it was cool to see that um bringing Dexter Loomis's back but also this would not be the last return that we will see on WWE programming this week but that's your raw wrestling highlights of the week
Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with a match between Keanu James going against Nikita Lyons. And Nikita Lyons would win this match with a roundhouse kick. Then hit her with her jumping split leg drop for the win. Solid match between both of these ladies. Nothing to really uh, talk about here. This, I feel that this was just another win column that we're trying to give Nikita. As her and Zoe Starks are going into this uh, women's tag team tournament. Oh yeah, Nikita and... Zoe Starks are the only women of NXT that are going to be in this women's tag team tournament. That's the only women of NXT. Not Toxic Attraction that actually is a tag team. Not uh, not no other women tag team. No, we're going to take two of the top uh, NXT women talent and put them on this tournament. I mean, I can see them doing that. Cool, fine, whatever. To raise the stock for these two ladies. But it just would have made much more sense if they would have put Toxic Attraction in it. But... I digress. Uh, after the match, Nikita would get attacked from the back by uh, Keanu James when Keanu would hit Nikita in the back with her back. So this rivalry between Nikita Lyons and uh, Keanu James will continue on. After this, we would have our rounds matchup between Wesley going against Trick Williams, who had Carmelo Hayes in his corner. Uh, Wesley would win this rounds matchup 2-1. to one. The way that you win this rounds was by basically pinning your opponent in one of the rounds, and that's about it. So, first person that got a roundup was uh, Trick, whenever he would pin West after West got distracted by Carmelo Hayes on the outside of the ring, and then Trick would hit him with a cyclone kick, which is basically a spinning kick to the face of West, and then cover him for the win. And then now West will have to get Trick twice. He ends up uh, pinning Trick one of the times. I don't remember how he got him the first time, but the second time he ends up. In the final one, he ends up actually knocking him out with a right hand and then covering him in round four. So I like what they did with this matchup because you could interchangeably use the boxing gloves when you felt like it. Like the first round, they actually used the boxing gloves with each other. They actually punched each other and all this type of stuff with the gloves. Second round, they took the gloves off and they actually wrestled. And the third round, you saw Melo put one of the gloves in Trick's hand and Melo kind of tried to tell Trick, hey, it's loaded, but Trick didn't understand it until he actually put his hand inside the glove, so you saw the realization on Trick's face that Melo actually loaded up Trick's glove. If you see the match, you understand what I'm saying. It was actually entertaining, and I liked the way they actually uh, moved around with this, but Wesley would ultimately get the win over Trick Williams. After this, we would go to commercial break, and once we come back from commercial, Carmelo Hayes is in the ring, and he has a microphone in his hands. Uh, he says that we were supposed to have a long-hour celebration for himself and trick williams but wesley cheated so now he's going to talk and kill time and he talks about what happened last week with nathan frazier answering his uh, north american championship open challenge and you see nathan frazier's music hit and you think that nathan frazier gonna come out but no carmelo was ready he's looking at the entrance and he turns around you see giovanni vinci in the middle of the ring and you see him and Hayes talk to one another, and Giovanni tells Carmelo that, yo, you're lucky that Nathan basically cheated me out of my opportunity against you last week because you were scared of me. And Melo says he's not scared of Giovanni. They go back and forth, and ultimately we get the match for next week at NXT's Heat Wave. It will be the North American Championship matchup. Carmelo Hayes going against Giovanni Vinci for the North American Championship. As soon as they say they want to make this match happen, 
They start fighting each other. Uh, you see referees coming in to break it up. I actually do like that we're getting a match between both of these two guys because, again, Melo is going to be doing something on an NXT special. And Melo's matches usually on one of these NXT specials are always something to watch because he's always able to showcase himself and make himself and his opponent look good. I don't know what happened to the Cameron Grimes one match. I don't know what happened with that. It just didn't feel right to me. Prable probably liked it. It just didn't feel right to me. But all his other like specials, him versus uh, Roderick Strong at the beginning of the year, New Year's Evil, that was a good one. Um, what was another one? Him versus uh, God Grayson Waller at the Great American Bash, that was a good one. So him having these one-on-one matches for North American Championship at these specials are always a good thing. And I think him versus Giovanni Vinci, a guy that they repackaged and he's hasn't lost a match on NXT. And I would like to see, are they going to give the title to Giovanni next week? Or are they going to uh, have Nathan Frazier, more or less, they're probably going to have Nathan Frazier cause Giovanni Vinci the win and have him lose his first match on NXT to Carmelo Hayes. So again, this is another interesting little twist that they did throw into uh the mix for uh Mello and giovanni's match going into next week at heat wave after this we would get uh ariana grace going against thea hale who had andre chase and Bodie hayward in her corner uh, ariana grace would win the match by pinfall when she would hit wasteland on thea hale the reason why this match comes about was because ariana grace said that she got a black eye because thea hale was playing and outside with Bodie, they were throwing around a football, and the football ends up hitting her in the eye. And that's the reason why we have this matchup. You see Ariana Grace comes out with a big black eye. So she's trying to make Thea Hale suffer the same way she suffered because Ariana Grace's whole character is that she was a former beauty pageant winner, so her face is important. So, again, that played into the match because at one point, uh, Thea Hale, quote-unquote, I believe, punched her thumbed ariana grace in the eye and then ariana was telling the referee that she punched her in the eye the referee has to look at her and stop the match for a minute and then you see thea hill talking to chase uh andre chase but then you see ariana grace just run behind thea and start punching her from behind so again the black eye played a point into the match so if you like character work you would like to see this matchup right here uh after this we would get the matchup between apollo cruz going against roderick strong Apollo would win the match by pinfall when you would hit a one-hand spine buster on Roderick Strong for the win. The reason why we have this match is because earlier in the night, we had Apollo in the Diamond Mines uh, dojo watching film with the Cree brothers and Damian Kemp. And you see Roderick Strong come in there, ask Diamond Mine, what's Apollo doing there? Diamond Mine looks at Roddy and say, hey, we're just watching film, and Roddy's trying to tell him he's not even a part of Diamond Mind. He's not allowed to be in here. So Apollo says, hey, man, listen, I'm just trying to watch film with these guys. I'm just trying to make them better. And you see the Creed brothers say, hey, man, if we can watch film with Apollo and make ourselves better, why not do it? Roddy wasn't trying to have that explanation, so Roddy tells Apollo to get out of here. Apollo issues a challenge for Roddy to have a match with him in NXT, so that's the reason why we have that match between Roddy and Apollo, and Roddy says that Diamond Mine was going to be out there. Diamond Mine was not out there with Roddy, so once Roddy loses to Apollo Crews, you see Roddy go to the back later in the night. You see the Cree brothers and Damian Kent watching their eight-man matchup that they had against uh, Tony D'Angelo's family, and you see Julius pick up on something, and he tells Damian to run the footage back. Roddy comes in there, and he asks them where were they, 
and the Creed brothers play the same trick that Roddy did on them whenever they had to defend the titles last week by saying that he was supposed to be there and he wasn't. He said the Creed brothers told Roddy that you passed the test and Roddy's not trying to hear that. Julius gets at Roddy said, listen, I saw some on the footage of us going against the uh, D'Angelo family and if I saw what I think I saw, then I'm gonna have a problem with I'm gonna have a problem and I'm gonna finish that problem with that exact same person next week. So more or less we're probably gonna have Julius probably calling out Roddy next week and that conversation should be interesting because then we're gonna have to see if Diamond Mind is gonna keep Roddy or we're gonna lose Diamond Mind as a whole next week. That's only if they decide to uh go there. After this we go to our big bosses sit down. It'll be Tony D'Angelo having to sit down with Santos Escobar in a park at midnight. And the gist of this meeting is that they're going to have a match next week at Heat Wave, a street fight. And the gist of it is that if Tony D'Angelo wins, Santos Escobar is out of NXT. He is banned from NXT. But if Santos win, him and the rest of his Legado del Fantasma family are done with Tony D'Angelo. They're no longer part of Tony D'Angelo's crew. They're not underneath Tony D'Angelo's thumb. Tony agrees to this, so that's basically what this sit-down was about. After this, we would get the tag team matchup of Idris Anafe and Malik Blade going against Pretty Deadly. The reason why we have this match is because a majority throughout this whole NXT night, you would see Lash Legend talking to Malik Blade, talking about how she lost to Alba Fire, how it wasn't fair, and all this type of stuff. Idris would walk in. He ain't trying to hear all that. They cut Lash Legend off. Pretty Deadly say you're not supposed to cut a lady off. So that's the reason why we have this match right here. Pretty Deadly trying to stick up for Lash Legend's uh, ladiness. Her, uh, just basically stick up for her. Um, Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall when they would hit spilt milk on Idris and Nafe when uh, Idris was beating up on Pretty Deadly. One of the Pretty Deadly members go outside, grab a steel chair, try to get in the ring. Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen are out at ringside. Josh Briggs grabs this chair and from uh, Pretty Deadly, gets on the ring apron, and you see Idris gets basically like shoved into Briggs, who has the chair, so Idris gets hit with the chair, and then you see Pretty Deadly hits Bill Milk on Idris Anafe. After the match, you see Pretty Deadly leave the ring, and then you see Lash Legend pop out of nowhere and hit Fallon Henley with a bicycle kick to the face. And then you see Last Legend walk right beside Pretty Deadly. And it seems to me that Pretty Deadly has now made an alliance with Lash Legend. And Wade Barrett was me when I saw it. Wade Barrett said, I did not know I needed to see Lash Legend with Pretty Deadly until right now. And that's exactly how I feel. Because you know what? Lash Legend and Pretty Deadly, I feel they complement each other with their uh, way that they talk with their hands. And the way they can move around. I think with... Pretty Deadly's charisma, they can elevate Lash Legend up. And that's all great because, again, the NXT Women's Division, they need more women to be elevated up. It, just besides Cora uh, and Mandy and Nikita at this moment. Because that's the only three women that they're kind of elevating on NXT right now, at least in my personal opinion here. Out of this, we go to our main event of NXT will be Cora J going against Zoe Starks. Mandy Rose was on commentary. Uh, Zoe Starks would win the match by pinfall when Zoe was able to hit Cora J with her finish, which is a 
uh, tilt to world basically knee to the face. It looks better when you see it. Um, after the match, you see Roxanne Perez coming down to the ring, grabbing Cora Jade's kendo stick and basically trying to hit Cora with it. Cora runs out of the ring and you see Roxanne chase her to the back. And then you see Mandy Rose try to sneak into the ring with the NXT Championship. It hit uh, Zoe with the belt, but Zoe would move out of the way, super kick Mandy in the face, grab her, hit her with the tilt world knee to the face, and then that's how NXT ends. So this is prompting Zoe Starks to have her match with Mandy next week for the NXT Women's Championship at Heat Wave to give uh, Zoe more momentum going into that match next week. And that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week now onto aew this is their television special quick by the lake they call this their pay-per-view card and the first match to start off the card was brody king going against darby allen in a coffin matchup and darby allen would win the match whenever he was able to choke brody king out by using brody king's uh chain that he wears around his neck uh, during his entrance and basically choke him out the exact same way that Brody has been choking out Darby these past few weeks by uh, grabbing him by the chain, grabbing him by the neck and basically like hanging him from the middle rope and Brody sells it pretty well. He like puts his arms by his side and he just uh, just basically stands there as he's getting choked and then he gets dropped from it when Darby releases the chain and releases the choke. Brody's body like drops into the coffin and like the coffin door literally like slams shut and that's how Darby wins. But this match was really brutal. I mean, you see within the first like couple of seconds, Brody comes out, makes his entrance and we don't see Darby making his entrance because he attacks Brody in the middle of the ring. I mean, he hits Brody with a, uh, skateboard has thumbtacks like glued on it and he hits him right in the stomach with it so Brody has thumbtacks in the stomach he hits him in the back with it and then he even grabs the skateboard and starts raking Brody in the, his forehead and Brody immediately starts dripping and I mean he is bleeding bleeding bad I mean like blood is starting to like drip 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 it reminded me of Eddie Guerrero in Judgment Day I believe it was 2004 against uh JBL when JBL popped Eddie in the forehead and Eddie came up and he was leaking bad. That's the type of blood it reminded me of Brody because Brody during this matchup, you would see Brody like having to wipe the blood off of his eyes and then he would somehow continue to just constantly just flow down more and he would constantly still have to wipe the blood away from his eyes. That's how bloody this match was for Brody King and Darby. They were just completely just having wreckage and like mayhem towards each other. I mean, uh, House of Black interfered in this at one moment the lights go dark and wants to pause back on malachi black and uh buddy matthews is in the middle of the ring they're beating down on darby and it seems to me that malachi was about to hit uh black mass on darby but he doesn't he tells brody no he doesn't tell brody he tells buddy to go outside the ring and open up the casket well the coffin and once buddy goes outside to open up the coffin stings there Sting pops up from the co coffin, gets up, looks at Buddy, hits him with the baseball bat, beats up on him, gets in the ring, beats up on uh, Brody King with the baseball bat. And then you see the moment of Malachi and Sting looking at each other. Sting hands Malachi the bat. Malachi takes it, and then he just drops it, and he starts talking to Sting a little bit. Then he walks out of the ring and up the ramp. 
Sting would follow him, and that's how we still get the ending of Brody going against Darby by himself, and that's how we get uh, Darby eventually in the end choking Brody King out with his own uh, chain. Uh, it was real, real poetic the way that it made it, the way the ending was whenever uh, Darby choked out Brody with his own chain, the exact same style, the exact same mannerism, the way that Brody kept on choking him out for weeks upon weeks. So if you haven't seen this match, you need to. And after this, we would get the Tornado Tag Match. Le Faction, Igonable, Andrade, El Idolo, and Rouge going against the Lucha Brothers. Penta is back to his old gear, no longer Penta Oscuro. He's back to his original black and white Penta gear, and he's teaming up with his brother, Phoenix. Rouge and Andrade would win the match by pinfall when Andrade would tie up Penta's mask in the second ropes and they would be left to beating up on Ray Phoenix and they're beating him up so bad that they end up hitting some type of move on Phoenix and then you see uh, Penta having to basically unmask himself but he still has face paint covering his face and he rushes over to save his brother Phoenix. At this point Alex Abrahantes would have a mask trying to throw another Penta mask into the middle of the ring but as soon as he does this, Penta doesn't grab the mask. Andrade grabs the mask. He throws that mask into the crowd. And then you see them kick Penta out of the ring. And then you see them hit Phoenix with their respective finishers. Rouge hit Phoenix with the bull's horn, which is a running drop kick as Phoenix is sitting down in the corner of the turnbuckle. And then you see Andrade finish uh, Phoenix off with a hammerlock DDT for the win. Nice tornado tag matchup here, and also it was announced after this matchup that the World Trios Tournament will be officially starting next week with the Young Bucks and a mystery opponent going against Roosh, Dragon Lee, and Andrade. And then two weeks from now on Dynamite, you will be seeing Death Triangle, which is Pac, Phoenix, and uh, Penta going against the United Empire, which is Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open. Uh, the other side of the bracket, you have House of Black going against Dark Order. They never ever say when that match is happening. And then two weeks, not two weeks, but next week on Rampage, it will be the Trust Busters, which is Parker Boudreaux, uh, Slim J, and Ariana, not Ariana, Aria Davari, sorry, going against Best Friends, which is Orange Cassidy, Trent Beretta, and Chuck Taylor. So those are the teams that will be in this Trios Championship Tournament. Uh, we go backstage, the Young Bucks try to recruit Hangman, but Hangman says, nah, I can't be with you guys, we're good, but I can't be with you guys because Dark Order was with me from my highest of highs and my lowest of lows, so I can't just abandon them when they need me, so I'm going to be in their corner. I don't hate you guys, Just I just can't be with you guys, I can't leave Dark Order. So this leaves the Young Bucks still with a mystery person that they have to now try to figure out who they can pick to be their tag partner as they're going into a match with Andrade and Roosh next week in the tournament. After this, we had Anthony Henry going against Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus beat Anthony Henry by pinfall. This was a quick matchup. Jungle Boy was on commentary for this matchup. After the match, Christian Cage would appear on the Titantron and he would start slow clapping. He would congratulate Luchasaurus uh, for winning the matchup and he says he's going to beat up Jungle Boy, but... Minneapolis doesn't deserve to see him tonight. Jungle Boy quickly runs off the commentary table, tries to go to the back to try to find Christian, and once he does, he tries to leap up at Christian, but you will see backstage officials separate Jungle Boy from even gets at Christian Cage. You will see Luchasaurus go to the back. He starts throwing security off of Jungle Boy, and you see 
one person grab Luchasaurus as he's throwing security guard off of Jungle Boy. It's one of the agents is Pat Buck and he headbutts uh Luchasaurus headbutts Pat Buck. So you see Jungle Boy stand there and you look at Luchasaurus like Ooh, make sure he's all right. And then you see Jungle Boy just start running because Jungle Boy is still trying to go after Christian Cage. After this, we would go down to the ring and we would see Jay Lethal come down to the ring with Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh. The main point of this is that they're calling out Warlow because at Battle of the Belts, they laid Warlow out, but Warlow won the match against Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal says that he wants another shot at the TNT Championship. And if Warlow doesn't give it to him, they're going to find him and take it from him. So you see Warlow come down. And he says that he'll beat Jay Lethal again in another match. But he says tonight he wants to beat all their butts. And you see Warlow start walking his way down to the ring. And then you see in here FTR's music hit. And FTR pops up and they start walking down to the ring. And they got uh, Warlow's back. So it is a pinnacle, a mini pinnacle reunion here. And you see FTR Warlow get in the ring. And now they're standing across from Jay Lethal, Satnam, and Sanjay. You see Satnam, Sanjay, and Jay Lethal leave the ring. And you see Sanjay talk to Jay outside. And you see him concoct his plan. You see Sanjay, Satnam, and Jay all have a side of the ring. And it seems like they're trying to corner FTR and Warlow. Jay Lethal sneak in the ring. He ends up hitting, getting hit with a big rig by FTR. And he ends up rolling out of the ring. And in the end, Warlow, FTR, they all stand in the middle of the ring holding up their championships. So that was that segment right here. After this, we had Aaron Solo going against Absolute Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall when you hit Aaron Solo with a spear. Um, after the match, you would see Nick Camarado coming down with a steel chair, trying to get into the ring, trying to hit Ricky with it. Ricky would duck it. He would end up hitting uh, Nick with a spine buster, which this is a sending a direct shot towards Will Hobbs because Will Hobbs does a power not powerbomb, but a spine buster and powerhouse Hobb. Will Hobbs just turned on Ricky two weeks ago. So this is another thing to add on that whole uh, fuel to the flame that these two are building upon. And then we go backstage and we see powerhouse Hobbs just breaks a backstage television. So now he's pissed off at Ricky for taunting him. So again, this is building fire, building the matchup between uh, Starks and Hobbs more or less probably going to have it all out because they got what right now they got another uh, three more episodes of Dynamite to build it up until they actually have this match at all out at least that's in my opinion I think they should have this match at all out maybe and the reason I'm saying maybe is because this feud just literally just happened and I'm not sure if people are wanting to see Will Hobbs beat Ricky Starks because I believe that's going to happen in the first matchup. I believe that's going to happen. And if we want to do that at a pay-per-view at All Out, cool. I think we need to let this thing marinate a little bit longer and we can have their first matchup being at the Grand Slam there uh, at AEW being returning back into New York at the Grand Slam in September. I believe that's where their first match should happen because then you gave them more time to build the rivalry and more time for people wanting to see Ricky starts get his hands on Will Hobbs. And even then you could change the outcome on maybe have Ricky beat Will Hobbs in the situation, but we'll have to see as that time happens. After this, it'll be time for our TBS championship matchup. Jay Cargill going against Madison rain. Jay Cargill will win the match by pinfall when she would hit Madison with jaded for the win. After the match, we will see Athena slide into the ring and attack Jay Cargill from behind until Kiara Hogan basically grabs Jay Cargill out of the ring and they start going to the back. It was announced that um, Chris Statlander 
injured herself on Dynamite, not Dynamite, but I believe Dark or Dark Elevation, one of the episodes of AEW's YouTube wrestling shows. And now, since she's injured, Tony Storm will be the number one contender. And so now, it seems to me that they're building towards Tony Storm going against Thunder Rosa at All Out, at least for the AEW Championship. That's where I think we're headed with that. Now time for the main event of Dynamite, Lionheart, Chris Jericho going against John Moxley for the interim AEW World Championship. John Moxley would win the match by submission when he would lock in the Bulldog Choke on Jericho, and Jericho would tap out. Jericho would try to uh, get out of the move and try to hold off as long as he can in the move. I think he was the longest person so far in AEW right now that Moxley has applied that choke hold on and actually uh, kicked out of it. Well, not kicked out of. He actually uh, stayed in it the longest, and he ultimately does end up tapping out. I will say this: Chris Jericho was actually able to get a old retro-looking tights that he did wear. So he actually did try to do the whole old-school Lionheart deal. He came out with black primary trunk, black primary pants with the yellow uh, stripes on them, the same ones that he wore in his ECW. Uh, run. That's the one that he would see. Everybody, if you look at Chris Jericho ECW, you'll know the attire which I'm talking about here. Um, you actually did get a good match between both Jericho and Moxley. This was one of Jericho's best matches that he's had in a minute. And I really do mean that. Moxley and Jericho actually able to have a good match between each other. Moxley bled in this matchup. Moxley's going to bleed in a heavyweight championship matchup because the heavyweight title means that much. At one point, Jericho uh had the referee distracted and he called for Sammy Guevara to throw a bat towards him. Sammy was in the audience. Sammy threw the bat into the ring. The bat misses Jericho's hands. It falls out of the ring. Jericho has to slide out of the ring, grab the bat, hit Moxley with it. We think that's the end of it. Nope. And again, Moxley ends up winning the match because of submission. After the match, you will see Sammy Guevara running out to the ring with Jake Hager and help Jericho beat down on Moxley. Then you see the BCC boys, uh, Claudio and Willie Yuta, as well as Eddie Kingston and Ortiz coming down to the ring to help out Moxley. Then you will see 2.0 and Daniel Garcia coming down to the ring to help out uh, Jericho, Hager, and Guevara. So now it's Jericho Appreciation Society beating down on the uh, BCC and Kingston and Ortiz. And the bad guys got the advantage here. And it looks like... Uh, I believe Sammy Guevara had John Moxley up in position for Jericho to hit Moxley with the AEW Championship. And then you hear CM Punk's music hit. Punk's music would hit. The fans are losing their minds. Punk walks out. He runs down to the ring. He starts beating down on Jericho's guys. And you see Kingston and everybody else helping Punk beat down on Jericho's guys. And then everybody leaves the ring except for Punk and Moxley. Punk looks at Moxley. Moxley doesn't see Punk, and he ends up getting up. And you see him holding the AEW Interim Championship, but the Interim Championship looks like the AEW Championship. So if you were a new watcher of the show, you would think that Moxley's literally the champion. But no, CM Punk is the champion. CM Punk is the AEW World Champion. He's just been out because he was injured, and he had to get surgery, but now he's back. Uh, they have a face-off with each other. Moxley has the interim championship on the shoulder. We know as fans where this is leading up to. Moxley will flip Punk the bird, and then he will leave the ring. And Punk would just be in the ring, just 
running circles in the ring, just so happy to be back, showing everybody that he's good. So it seems to me we're building up to Moxley going against Punk for the unified AEW World Championship at All Out. And if that's what we're leading to, which I hope that we do, I'm completely happy for it, and I can't wait to see that match officially happen. And that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. CM Punk is back on the show. Now, on to Impact. Impact Wrestling will open up with a match between Carl Anderson going against Kenny King. Carl Anderson would win the match by pinfall when Kenny King had Carl on his shoulders to hit the Royal Flush, but as soon as he flipped him over, Carl Anderson would grab Kenny King by the neck and hit the gun stun, basically RKO cutter out of nowhere, and Carl Anderson would cover Kenny for the win. After the match, Kenny would attack Carl Anderson from behind with a chair to his knee, and this would further injuring Carl's knee because Kenny was going after Carl Anderson's knee throughout the whole matchup and he would put Carl's knee inside of the steel chair looking to do something to it but before he could Heath would pop out of nowhere and hit Kenny King with the wake-up call and that's how this situation would end. After this we would have Kushida with Chris Saban in his corner going against Diener who had Joe Doring in his corner. Kushida would win this match by pinfall when he would hit Diener with a hammerlock fisherman suplex for the win. Um, good match between Kushida and Diener here. I mean, there's nothing really to say here. Kushida has good matches here. It's just that you got to be a good dance partner with Kushida so you guys can have a great match together. Um, it was a solid match. You had the usual Joe Doring try to interfere. Uh, Chris Saban would stop making sure that uh, Joe Doring would not interfere. I mean, it's this usual thing. And the big overarching storyline here is that uh, Diener is trying to prove his worth to Eric Young and try to get back on his good graces. So it's the same thing with Joe Doring. Uh, both of these guys are trying to get back on Eric Young's good graces. But it seems to me every time they constantly fail and fail and fail. So that's the deal with this story right now. Uh, after this, we will be the in-ring debut of Killer Kelly. Killer Kelly will be going against Tiffany Neves. And Killer Kelly would win the match by submission when she would make uh, Tiffany tap out in a twisting arm like Cobra Clutch. I mean, she had her arm twisted up. And then she, like, grabbed the other arm of Tiffany and, like, applied, like, a Cobra Clutch situation and just start wagging just start jagging at the neck of Tiffany and Tiffany would uh, pass out, not pass out, but she would tap out. So Killer Kelly has a win on impact. She has a good look. Killer Kelly has a good look. And also her in like her um, after the match ends and her lights come down and it's red lighting and the way that the camera angle would hit her Kelly's Killer Kelly's face, her face would be red. But like when you look at the eyes, the under lining of the eyes will be black it looks like a real menacing killer type vibe that they're giving for killer kelly and i like it after this we will be getting uh madison rain going against mia yim so madison rain was on impact this week and she was on aew dynamite again for people that don't know impact wrestling was taped so this i believe is madison rain's last time appearing on impact wrestling because she is now signed with aew and she is a coach and i believe part from time to time, she will be wrestling on AEW television, as was shown on this past week on Dynamite. Um, Mia Yim would defeat Madison Rain by pinfall. She when she would hit 
eat defeat on Madison Rain for the win. After this, we would see uh, Mia Yim backstage, and you would see the Knockouts champion Jordan Grace walk up to Mia Yim, asking her, "Is she good?" Mia says, "Yeah, I'm good." And Jordan would say that she's happy that Mia won the matchup because she doesn't know if Mia was good because of the last time Mia says she was good, they lost the tag team uh, tag team matches that they had with each other. But Jordan was teaming up with Mia. Mia tells Jordan, hey, it takes two to lose a tag team match. And Jordan has to tell, well, I was a former knockouts tag team champion. Mia said, oh, yeah, you were the shortest reign in the knockouts tag team championship. So at least you're used to short title reigns. So this is, again, indicating that the matchup that they're had last night at uh, Impact Emergence. I will be giving you that review, not review, but results of that next week on Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Not tonight, not on this episode, but next week's episode. Uh, after this, we would go to X Division Championship matchup, Mike Bailey going against Rocky Romero. Mike Bailey would win the match by pinfall when Mike Bailey would hit Rocky Romero with Ultimo Weapon, which is a shooting star double knees to the back. This was a good match between uh, Speedball Mike Bailey and Rocky Romero. This is, again, this gave these two guys a lot of time. As a matter of fact, this was the main event match of Impact Wrestling, so this made sure to put a lot of importance on the Exhibition Championship because the winner of this matchup would not only be the Exhibition Champion, but they would be facing Jack Evans the next night at Emerges for the Exhibition Championship as well. Both of these guys put on a good matchup, and Mike Bailey just happens to win. But the main event segment of Impact was the contract signing between Josh Alexander and Alex Shelley for the Impact World Championship. The main gist of it was Josh Alexander would give credit to where credit's due with Alex Shelley saying, hey, I watched you. As a matter of fact, you're the reason why I got into the wrestling business because he mentioned that the first ticket he ever bought to a wrestling show would literally be a show that Alex Shelley was on. And after seeing Alex Shelley, that wrestling show... The next day, he immediately got into wrestling. So he gives Alex Shelley that uh, praise, but he tells Alex Shelley that um, you cultivated a generation of Alex Shelley wannabes and all this type of stuff, but I'm a Chris Sabin guy, and I have put in the work to be the main event, to be the main champion, all this type of stuff, while you, you are afraid of success. You've been here and you never got a world championship matchup before and i just can't wait to be in the ring with the great alex shelley but i can't wait to not only beat the great alex shelley shelley gets on the mic he says to josh that yeah you're right i've been here for many times i've come back and forth my love for professor wrestling has gone up and down it's just like a regular human being's love with anything else but you're right. I have cultivated a lot of Alex Shelley's wannabes, but what makes you think you're not an Alex Shelley wannabe? You grew up watching me. So whenever we lock in at Emergence, it's going to be you going against your idol, while I would just be standing across the ring from another fan. And he ends up saying at Emergence, you're not going to be walking out as Impact World Champion, but you're not going to be walking out empty-handed because he ends up signing a contract and he says you will have your autograph and he ends up leaving the ring so alex shelley basically got the last laugh on josh alexander saying that you are nothing but a fan you will be going against your idol and good luck beating your idol at 
emergence. So that's how Impact ended. You could probably watch that segment on YouTube if Impact placed it up there. I don't know, but if you can find it, I will suggest you watching that contracts segment. I usually don't like contract segments because they're so diluted now. I mean, almost every month we get one, but this one I actually would say you guys need to go out of your way to actually watch this so you can see uh, how a contract signing is supposed to be done between two good guys in a wrestling company. So that is your Impact Wrestling uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a first round women's tag team championship tournament matchup of the team of Aaliyah and Raquel Rodriguez going against the team of Shotzi and Zia Lee. Aaliyah and Raquel would win the match by pinfall when Raquel would hit Zia Lee with a Tacona bomb for the win. So Aaliyah and Raquel would advance to the semifinals where they'll be waiting to face the winners of Natalia and Sonya Deville going against the team of Nikita Lyons and Zoe Starks and that match will be happening next Friday on SmackDown. After this we get a backstage promo of Killer Cross. He admits that he him and his girl Scarlet were cast out to the shadow never to be heard from again while the chosen ones Drew and Roman were in the ring and it must be nice being the chosen ones while they were cast out of paradise and being forgotten and such and such. But whenever there's chaos, they see opportunity. So that's whenever they took the chance to come and basically start wrecking shop. And basically Killer Cross said, let's everybody know that everybody is on notice. We would then see Carrion lean over because he's backstage and we see him lean over and you see him looking at Drew McIntyre and we hear Drew McIntyre's music hit. Drew McIntyre walks out to the ring. And now Drew McIntyre's out in the middle of the ring. And he's basically calling out Karrion Cross for jumping him last week. And he wants to get his hands on Karrion. But he doesn't get Karrion. Instead, he gets Scarlet. Scarlet would come out. Scarlet uh, is walking towards the ring. And she gets on the ring apron. And... You see her staring at Drew and you hear the fans going crazy a little bit. So we think, so I'm thinking the people at home that don't see this, you think Karrion's about to attack Drew from behind. No, but when Drew turns around, he gets hit by the Usos. The Usos are beating down on Drew. They hit him with a double subi cake. They stomp on him, beat him down. And once Drew is laid out at this moment, you see the Usos look at Scarlet and they tell Scarlet that if Carrion has a problem with the Tribal Chief. He's going to end up looking the exact same way as Drew. Scarlet would let the Usos know that the same message applies to Roman too. So Roman is on Carrion's hit list and so is Drew McIntyre. So we know that Carrion is coming after uh, basically Roman and Drew here. Uh, after this, we were supposed to get Kofi Kingston going against Ivar or Eric, one half of the Viking Raiders, but... Kofi would attack the Viking Raiders as they were doing their entrance with a kendo stick. He would beat down on them both again, just wailing at them both with the kendo sticks. But that would not be enough as the both of the Vikings would get up and start blocking Ken Kofi's uh, kendo shots. And they would beat down on Kofi. They would hit him with their shields. Uh, they would start slamming Kofi to a point that Kofi would basically get dragged to one side of a crowd barrier 
and I believe it was Ivar would get on the barricade and then he would jump off of it and jump onto Kofi who's now laid down on the ground and hit a body splash on Kofi and this would knock Kofi completely off and this is Kofi just laid out on the ground now and we will get information that next week on SmackDown, the Viking Rangers will be holding a memorial for the New Day. So this is their way of basically saying they're trying to kill off the New Day. At least the Vikings are trying to do it. But again, as I said before, I'm not mad at them using the New Day as a way to prop up the Viking Rangers because the New Day will always be the New Day. You can't do damage to the New Day. I mean, unless you give them like a singles heavyweight run the way that you did with Kofi and you killed his thing. And the way you did Big E and you killed his situation, that's the only way you can kill New Day. But when New Day are together as a unit or as a tag team, there's no way you can hurt the New Day, whether it be credibility, merch sale, or anything else. So I have no problem with them using the New Day to build up the Viking Raiders. If anything, that's the only team you could use for this. After this, we go backstage. We see Sammy walk up on Roman Reigns' door and the Usos come back out. Sammy has to calm down the Usos say hey listen I heard what you guys said last week and I'm going to try to pull my weight and as soon as he says this Drew McIntyre pops out of nowhere and starts beating down both the Usos and Sammy starts blitzing out of here he runs away he doesn't run he starts walking away he doesn't help out Drew at one point you think that he's going to help out because he is at least enough distance away that he could run up and try to kick Drew but no he just starts walking away back and moving out of the way leaving the Usos to get beat down by Drew McIntyre. After this, we go to the ring, and there's two guys that nobody knows who their names are. They're local talent guys. And Pat McAvee is starting to mess around with the uh, thing that people use at the NFL thing to like show how, case how a play would be going by writing down certain stuff on the television prompter or monitor. But for this, he would be like saying that these two guys are crapping their pants and all this type of stuff. Either way... Long story short for this is that Hit Row is back here. Hit Row except for basically Swerve Strickland because Swerve has signed to AEW. But we have B-Fab is back, Top Dollar is back, and Ashanti the Adonis is back. So this is Hit Row's match back on the main roster back in WWE. And Hit Row would win the match with Top Dollar and Ashanti the Adonis beating these two guys when they hit heavy hitter which is a back suplex drop kick combination onto one of the guys for the win after the match hit row would get on the mic they will all introduce themselves and they call themselves the original og3 and they throw up the three down again so top dollar ashanti Adonis, and b fab are back on smackdown they're back in wwe and hit row is back together well again besides uh Swerve Strickland, and I'm happy to see Ashanti Diodonis, B-Fab, and uh, Top Dollar back on WWE television, or just in wrestling television in general, because, again, last year, around this time, and they mentioned on commentary, they said that we haven't seen these guys since uh, last fall, yeah, because Vince McMahon, or whoever was in charge at the time, or whoever was in, like, the side of creative to fire people, yeah, they fired every member of Hit Row, which you thought would happen. And Swerve, he got picked up by AEW. And I was glad to see all members of Hit Row back here. I'm glad to see all members of Hit Row being on television. Swerve being AEW. The rest of the three being on WWE television. Everybody's making money. That's all wrestling's about. Making money, 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 money. And they're all friends outside of this business. They're all legitimate friends with each other. And that was a great thing. I was happy. I was smiling from cheek to cheek. 
to see Hit Row back there. I was happy because that's another group that I did not understand how WWE decided to cut them last year. I just didn't understand this. Uh, anyway, after this, we would go, and now it's time for a contract signing between Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler. And they have the contract in the middle of the ring. They have the table set up and all that type of stuff. But Ronda Rousey would pop up from the crowd. She would walk out of the crowd into the ring holding a black duffel bag. She puts the duffel bag on the table. She gets a mic and says that she knows she isn't supposed to be here. She knows she got suspended and fined. And she starts dropping a buttload of money out of the duffel bag. She said, I got fined, but I'm going to double that fine. Pay that fine, double it. And she said, well, I can do that because I got the money for it. And she says, I know it's not going to be my first and last time being fined here anyway. We would then see two security guards come down to the ring and try to escort Rhonda out of the ring and out of the parameters of the ring, the out the ringside area and all this type of stuff. Rhonda says, you guys want me out of here. And you see one security guard grab Rhonda by the arm and it's a female. Rhonda would judo throw the female security guard Looks like she's about to apply the arm bar on her. And she lets go of the arm. She decides to walk up the ramp. And you see Shayna Baszler looking at Rhonda at the entrance stage. And Shayna's telling Rhonda, this isn't everywhere else. This is here. You're here now. You're in a new place. You can't be doing this. This isn't like the fighting world. This isn't how you do this. You follow the rules here to get what you want. Rhonda looks at Shayna and discusses, say, you used to be a killer. And then just walks away. So again, this is playing into how Shayna has basically gotten soft. A killer doesn't play by the rules. The killer does something different. So, uh, with that being said, Ronda would walk away from Shayna. Shayna has to shake off all this crap now. And she walks towards the ring for a contract signing with Liv. Shayna gets in the ring. It's her by herself. She gets the mic and she says that at Clash of the Castle, she's going to beat Liv in that um, she's going to be another victim on Shayna's, uh, list of victims, and she's going to become the next Magic Women's Champion, blah, blah, blah. Liv Morgan comes out, she still has an arm and a brace, Liv gets on the mic, and she cuts at Shayna by saying that Shayna is a low-rate Ronda Rousey, and she knows she's going to beat Shayna because she beat the real Ronda Rousey twice, and she signs the contract, and you see uh, Shayna just beat down on Liv. She beats her up. She grabs her by the end of her arm and stomps on the arm that's in the brace. And now you see Liv yelling in agony. And you see that Shayna's about to do something else. But Liv was able to counter the move and hit uh, Shayna with a bulldog through the contract table. And Liv is now standing tall as Shayna's, like, on top of the broken table, checking her mouth to make sure her teeth is all there, make sure that her teeth didn't, like, chip or anything, as she is just standing there with the SmackDown Women's Championship in the air. After this, we go to the back. We see Sami Zayn standing there, and you see the Usos walk up on Sami say, what up, track star? And they are just berating Sammy for leaving them in the dust as Drew was beating on him. And Sammy tries to give the excuse by saying, no, I was looking for security. And the Usos say, nah, man, nah, we told you. You got to start picking your way or you'll be left in the dust. We're about to call out. We're about to go to the ring and call out Drew McIntyre. So that's what the Usos do. They go out to the ring. They call Drew McIntyre out. 
and they say that Drew McIntyre could get any opponent that he wants. Drew McIntyre comes out by himself and is at first a handicap match. The Usos beating up on Drew, the bell rings, all that type of stuff. But then it turns into a tag team match where Madcap Moss comes down to the ring to be Drew McIntyre's partner. Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss would win the match by pinfall when Drew would hit the Claymore on Jimmy Uso to win the match. After the match, Jay would run in and try to lay Drew out, but Drew would hit uh, Jay with a Future Shock DDT. And as he was doing the countdown to try to hit Jay with the Claymore kick, Sammy would run into the ring, push Jay out of the way, and he would eat the Claymore kick. And then you would see Jimmy grab Jay out of the ring and start walking up to the back. So again, this is still building towards... Uh, Drew getting his match at Clash of the Castle with Roman. That's already been confirmed. But also with the whole uh, situation of Sammy trying to pull his weight with the bloodline, prove that he belongs, all this type of stuff. Where will this end? What will he turn on them at one point? Or what What will he do to pull his weight? Hopefully, Sammy's probably going to think that this is him pulling his weight. But ultimately, in the end, he's basically going to be that guy that he basically got used by the people. So we're going to see how this uh, goes. After this, we would go backstage. We see the maximum male models doing a photo shoot. You see Monse, Monse and Monsois, Max Dupree and Max Maxine Dupree just all doing a photo shoot there. Max trying to tell the photographer that he isn't doing a good job, all this type of stuff. And then you see him stop the whole photo shoot. And you see Los Lotharios crash the photo shoot. And he says that they're not maximum male model material. Why are they here? Los Lotharios look at Maxine Dupree and say, if you, whenever you need us to be here, we'll be here and just give us a call. And you see Max look at Maxine and he doesn't like that. And you could tell that they're building a feud between Max male models and Los Lotharios. Again, Los Lotharios have a gimmick of being the most handsome looking guys on the roster, while Max Dupree's group of maximum male models, they're models. They're guys that are supposed to be uh, selling perfection, selling uh, cut-up face, selling just body, basically, as a model. That's what it's supposed to do. So you got guys that come in there that say they're better looking than you, better looking than your models. That sets up a perfect rivalry for you. And personally, I forgot about those Lotharios. I ain't going to hold nobody. So I'm glad that whoever's in creative remember those Lotharios and say, why don't we just put those Lotharios going against maximum models? I'm glad for that. Uh, anyway, time for the main event. WWE Intercontinental Championship matchup. Gunther going against Shinsuke Nakamura. This was a straight up just beat down of a match between both of these guys. Uh, before the match happened, we had a Intercontinental Championship package, which is uh, showing the showcase of former Intercontinental Champions, showing how prestigious this belt is, basically trying to make people that probably have not watched wrestling in a long time or don't remember or don't know what the kind of champion is championship is this is a video to showcase the importance of this belt the prestige of this title uh showing why two guys want to fight for this championship get to the match gunther would win the match by pinfall when he ends up basically drop kicking shinsuke in the back and then hitting them with a power bomb and cover him for the win. Again, this was a slug out match between Gunther and Shinsuke Nakamura. They were giving it all. At one point, they even slow motion uh, a replay after the match. They see Shinsuke hit Gunther in the face with a knee to the face. And Michael Cole says, I don't even know how Gunther even got up from that. I mean, 
after the match, you see Nakamura, like, with Chop's chest, like, his chest, like, with a chop print from Gunther, like, chopping him in the chest. So, it basically bloody his chest to a point. And Gunther, he's holding his hand, and we don't know if he's got an injured hand, bruised hand. We don't know nothing. These guys were just throwing it at each other. I implore you, if you have not seen Shinsuke versus Gunther on SmackDown for the Intercontinental Championship, please see it. You will really enjoy that matchup wholeheartedly. Um, but in the end, again, Gunther won the Intercontinental Championship. Well, he retained it. He beat Shinsuke Nakamura, and that's how SmackDown ended. So that's your SmackDown wrestling highlights of the week. Now going off to AEW Rampage. Rampage would kick off with Brian Danielson coming out to the ring, and he's in the ring with Tony Schiavone. The main gist of this is that Brian Danielson is out here because people have been saying that uh, Brian Danielson isn't medically cleared or such and such or whatever. Brian Danielson said that, listen, I've been in wrestling for 20 some odd years. I don't know when I am going to be 100%. I don't know when last time I was 100%. And people have been saying they're going to try to force me out of, force me into retirement and I've been talking up violence ever since I got into AEW. I'm hoping that somebody tries to do this because that's what we're here for in this business. Then we see Daniel Garcia come out. He says that, Brian, is no secret you are my favorite wrestler. There's no secret to this. You are my guy. But every time you're hurt, it makes me hurt. And you making me hurt make me now have to hurt you. So they get into this thing, and then Brian tells Daniel Garcia, point blank, listen, you said that you admire me, right? But what is this sports entertainment crap? I don't believe in this bull crap. Me and you are going to go at it again with each other. And what do you want to be known as? Do you want to be known as the best sports entertainer technician? Or do you want to be as the best technical wrestler in the world? Daniel Brian Danielson is getting at Daniel Garcia. I mean, to a point that a father's talking to his son. I mean, he's getting at him, saying that, why do you think I chose your name as the first guy whenever I thought about the Blackpool Combat Club? Why do you think I said your name first? Because I remember seeing you have an hour-long match in front of 200 people, and you were the first young guy in a long time that I saw do technical wrestling to it. Perfection. That's the reason why. And I mean, he was getting at him, basically saying, yo, at Dynamite, when I'm stomping your head in, you're going to have to make the choice. Or you want to be the best technical sports entertainer or the best technical wrestler. So this is setting up for their match on Dynamite that's coming up next week. It will be a two out of three falls matchup. Brian Danielson going against Daniel Garcia. I'm going to say it right now. We're going to have a good match. And I think that'll probably be the first match to start the show off on Dynamite. At least in my professional opinion, I think that's what should happen. Uh, after this, it's time for our first match of the night. Mixed tag team matchup for the AAA Mixed Tag Team Championships. The champions, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, now known as Ty Mello because she got married to Sammy Guevara, going against the team of Dante Martin and Sky Blue. Sammy and Ty would win the match by pinfall when Ty would hit Sky Blue with the TK Ty for the win and cover her to retain their AAA World Mixed Tag Team Championships. After this, we will have Parker Boudreaux going against Sonny Kiss. This was a quick matchup, just basically showcase Parker Boudreaux to the AEW fan base here. Parker would beat Sonny Kiss when he would hit Sonny with a uh, back, not backbreaker, uh, God, back suplex slam for the win. 
So, again, we're trying to rev up Parker Boudreaux. We're trying to rev up uh, the Trust Busters. And the story going into this matchup was that the Trust Busters was trying to recruit Sonny Kiss. Sonny Kiss didn't, like, give them an answer on Dark or Dark Elevation. So that's the reason why we have the match on Rampage here. After this, we go backstage and we have Andrade, Roosh, with Butcher and the Blade and Private Party. And Roosh tells Andrade that he doesn't like Private Party. Private Party takes exception to this, and Andrade tells him that you guys have a match against Keith Lee and Swerve for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Win those belts. I want them. And Andrade says to him, Roosh and Dragon Lee are going to take care of the Trios Championship Tournament. They're going to win those belts. So Andrade wants to have his whole uh, organization to have championships gold in his organization. After this, we would go down to the ring and it's time for a tag team matchup. The Gun Club, Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn with Billy Gunn in their corner going against Beardhausen. Eric Redbeard, formerly known as Eric Rowan in WWE, and Danhausen teaming up to create Beardhausen. Gun Club would win the match by pinfall thanks to some help from Billy Gunn because when Danhausen had Austin Gunn in a Russian leg sweep and Eric was running towards the rope. Billy would pull Eric out of the ring, and this would allow Austin to hit Danhausen with the Famouser to win the matchup. After the match, Billy Gunn would get in the ring, and he would scold his son, saying, "This is what you guys gave us. This, this right here. You guys are pathetic, and this is one of the reasons why I missed the acclaim." So again, we're still pulling the trigger on his father, the Gun's father, liking the acclaim more than he likes the Gun Club. So he says, listen, that's fine. You guys are going to have another chance to prove that you guys are better than this next week on Dynamite because I got you a match. And then he leaves out of the ring without his sons. And then you see the sons following behind him like a couple seconds later. And then you see Stokely Hathaway in the audience. He's calling the guns over, trying to hand him his business card. He tried to give them the business card on Dynamite, but the father uh, tore out Stokely's business card and told Stokely to get out of here because he's the only one that can take his sons to the next level. So Stokely tries to get back to the guns on Rampage here, try to give them the business card, and the gun club just walk away. So it seems to me that the gun club are eventually going to be joining with Stokely. It's just going to take some time, and it might be this uh, upcoming week on Dynamite where the gun club just lose it and just join Stokely. Uh, after this, we would go and have a in-ring interview with Hook, the FTW champion. Tony Schiavone asks Hook, is the FTW championship still going to be an open challenge? Hook says, yep. So, out walks out a guy named Zach Clayton. Apparently, he was on uh, MTV's Jersey Shore. He comes out and he says that he's going to challenge Hook for the FTW championship next week on Rampage. Hook agrees to it, so we have that match set up. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage, Orange Cassidy with Trent and uh, Chuck Taylor in his corner going against Ari Davari, who has Slim J and Parker Boudreaux in his corner. Orange Cassidy would beat Davari by pinfall when he would hit him with the orange punch and cover him for the win. After the match, you would see Parker Boudreaux get in the ring and attack uh, Orange Cassidy. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Slim J first get in the ring to attack Orange Cassidy from behind. And then you see uh, Chuck Taylor and uh, Trent Perretta get in the ring and attack Slim J. And then Parker Boudreaux get in. He'll beat down on Trent and uh, Chuck Taylor. He beats up on these two guys. Orange Cassidy gets in there. 
and then he has this moment with Parker, and then you see Sonny Kiss run down to the ring. Sonny Kiss taps Orange Cassidy on the shoulder, telling him, I got this. And now you see Sonny Kiss standing in between Parker and Kiss, not Kiss, in uh, Orange Cassidy. And Sonny Kiss decides to kick Orange Cassidy in the nuts, and then you see Parker grab up Orange Cassidy and hits him with the back suplex slam, the same move that Parker beat Sonny Kiss earlier in the night with. So it seems to me that slam, that moment, changed Sunny Kiss's mind, and now Sunny Kiss has now aligned herself with uh, the Trustbusters. So Trustbusters are now Ari Davari, Slim J, Parker Boudreaux, and Sunny Kiss, and that's how Rampage ends. As we are going into well next week's Rampage, where the best friends will be going against the Trustbusters in the one of the rounds for the AEW Trios Championship Tournament. And that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, here's some more, like, little tidbits here about what happened this week in wrestling. Uh, apparently, Vince McMahon got found out with more money he was stashing away, or he paid off somebody another couple of gr- millions of dollars. Listen here, I'm going to say it now, and I mean this with whole with my whole heart here. Vince McMahon ran WWE for many and many of years. If you think that he just wasn't hiding money off or not like paying people off or doing all these other things with these millions of dollars, you are out your mind. You guys are going to find more and more and more. These shocking details don't uh, shock me at all. You can probably find out with a lot of these big old companies now. Imagine where they first started and as they were growing and becoming more successful. Imagine the millions of dollars they paid off to somebody. Imagine the millions of dollars that they paid in um, hush money that they probably have done. So I don't, I know that people in the business world say, oh my God, this is a bad thing. Listen here, I think the top executives know, okay, this is a running a mill thing that every talk is top exec has done at least as they're building up their company. They always have either had hush money uh, dirty money, some type of money that you put off to the side and somehow it gets found out from the books because the math doesn't math up right if you catch my drift here. So that was one thing that came out this week on wrestling for Vince McMahon. And another thing that came out was that uh, Vince McMahon had some disputes with Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt apparently will be the guy that we call Investment Man out on his crappy booking, saying that whatever he was coming up with was crap. And instead of Vince McMahon basically saying that Bray Wyatt was his uh, ideas were crap, he would basically just try to fat shame uh, Bray Wyatt, saying that he doesn't like Bray Wyatt, and basically uh, try to spew around that Bray Wyatt uh, had a bad attitude. And this is all coming from a Fightful Select article here. And it's real crazy to me. Well, it's not real crazy because, again, you got top dogs here. You got top uh, people here. Oh, yeah. And, by the way, Fightful Select talked to certain people inside WWE. They didn't ever name the sources here. But, again, um, it's not crazy to me because Vince McMahon always wanted things his way. So, it's not crazy, again, to me that he would uh, shout at somebody, a wrestler of his, somebody that's on his payroll. It's, It's not crazy at all. I think a lot of what we saw of Vince McMahon, the character on television, again, it goes back to certain people in the industry. They say Vince McMahon, the character, and Vince McMahon, the person, are not really too much different. Yeah, sure, he's amplified a little bit more on television, but in his personal life, it's not that really much of a difference here. So that didn't shock me when I heard about what he said about to Bray Wyatt, like fat shaming Bray Wyatt and all this other type of crap. 
my whole thing is, is that whenever somebody's making money and Bray was making money, the fiend made money, his, uh, eater of worlds. When he came out with his own type of stuff with his wife, family stuff, it made money. I don't understand that if somebody's making money for you, like the way that Bray's doing it, you would think you would want to listen to him because he knows how to make his character works. He knows what the people want because they are following his character, something that he created that had no WWE help in that creation. You would think you want to follow him in this, or if you don't like what he's suggesting, you would say, hey man, how, can we, how about we tweak this to make this run with our television program? At least do that, not try to like down him as a human being for his physical physique or whatever else, dog. That's not the greatest way you build up morale. So I can see now why Vince is out, at least in the public eye. Because again, I don't think Vince is gone from WWE as a legit whole thing. Because I think about this, whatever old people have been in a job that they have created or that they've been in a position for so long, and when they leave that position, within the first couple of months or years, they legitimately die. They're not here on this earth anymore. Think about it. Think about uh, what was the coach that was the Sandusky coach, uh, the one that knew about all this stuff, Joe Paterno. He knew about, well, I'm not going to say he knew, but think about it. He helped a college win so many football games and all this type of stuff. But what happened? He ends up retiring. He ends up getting into some scandal because of a assistant coach doing some nasty stuff. And what happens? He ends up dying a couple years later because he's no longer coaching anymore and also because of scandal. Okay. There's been other people out here that have been working long jobs that were in long positions and then they die because guess what? They're no longer in that spot anymore. So if Vince McMahon ends up dying a year or two from now, I'm not wishing on the man. I'm saying if he happens to die, then I would say, okay, then he actually was retired. He actually did step away from the business of WWE. But if he is still living, then I can say, okay, now nah, he still has some type of wiggle room in the company. But point being, with the way that WWE is being run now and former talent that got fired under the last remaining couple of years under the Vince McMahon regime is now coming back, a.k.a. Top Dollar, a.k.a. Ashanti D. Adonis, a.k.a. B-Fab, uh, Dexter Loomis, Karrion Cross and his wife Scarlett, and whoever else they're going to try to bring back, I can see why the wrestlers, at least in WWE, are now going to start loosening it up, loosening up their skin and actually start having fun on television and having fun backstage. I feel that we're going to start seeing a lot much more... Uh, superstars being able to speak freely about even talking about rival companies i have a feeling we're going to see that in some interviews from wwe talent um but again this with vince mcmahon it just doesn't shock me at all and that's some of the stuff that happened outside of uh wrestling on television but on the um that was uncovered online but anyway with that all being said let me get you guys out of here my twitter you can find me at at my two podcast instagram my two cents podcast g2 my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com i want you guys to have a great saturday i hope you guys enjoy yourself please be careful i hope you guys listen to my sunday episode which drops tomorrow it's going to be called timing um again hope have a great saturday please be careful on the roads don't be a dick and if you feel suicidal the suicide hotline number is in the uh description of the episode please call that number always remember i love you i want everybody to please be careful please be safe out there on the road and with that kanye can you please 
educate these people. I'm tired, you tired, uh -huh. Jesus wept. Well.